0: my north star or southern cross if i'm talking to my friends in australia is to be able to look my partners in the eye at the end of a quarter and say i enabled you exactly the same way that i enable my own sales team i gave you the same quality of leads i gave you the same product training i gave you the same level of support from our solutions engineering team from anyone else in our business from our marketing team give them some ramp time. It's probably a bit longer than the people you are paying to work full-time sitting in your office and in your business. So you need to build in a little bit of ramp. You need to build that time to build relationships. Those are those are sort of like the high level steps. Look for complementary products where you can value add, get ready to make something of an investment, whether that's enablement or marketing, and then give it a little bit of time to mature and, and become something.
1: Welcome to the Asia Growth Forecast by HubSpot, a podcast where we dissect successful sales strategies of fast-growing brands and show you how to grow your business in Asia.
2: We talk with sales leaders from brands like Niam, Aspire, VMware, and Asana to uncover the secret sauce behind their sales motion and understand what it takes to win the hearts and minds of buyers in this region.
1: I am Adarsh Narona.
2: And I am Romka Volkowiak and together we lead sales for HubSpot across Southeast Asia and India. We will be your host this season. And now let's get into today's show.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to the Asia Growth Forecast. And as usual, this is Adi with Romka. And we are today talking to Andrew Besley, who's the head of Southeast Asia and APJ channel partnerships at Asana. For many of us, Asana is probably a familiar name and Asana helps organizations orchestrate their work from small projects to strategic initiatives. More than, I think, around 139,000 paying customers and millions of free organizations today rely on Asana to manage everything from their company objectives to digital transformation to product launches and marketing campaigns. So, so excited. Welcome, Andrew, waiting to talk to you, me and Ramkar. How are you feeling?
0: Thanks, Adi. It's great to be here. As we chatted about earlier, Asana is also just really, really excited to talk about the topic at hand Thank today. You, so yeah, let's dive in. I remember in. the
1: first time when I met you and we kind of, in the first 10 minutes, exchanged some notes about how we run our operations in this part of the world. I knew I was uh, meeting a friend for, for life, so for everybody who's listening. Andrew has had a very illustrious career spanning media, advertising, and now B2B SaaS. Andrew, for our audience, could you tell us a bit about your life, your career journey, how you ended up here, where you are today, and yeah. it, what does your current role encompass?
0: Yeah, sure Eddie, happy to do that. So I'm, I'm based in Singapore and I've been living in Singapore for the last seven plus years. And I lived in New York for 15 years before moving out to this part of the world. My, um, my wife and I actually visited Singapore on our honeymoon. That was, it'll be 10 years this year we've been married. And uh, we fell in love with the city immediately. So I ended up joining Tech in Asia. And then I saw that Asana was opening an office here in Singapore. Now I've been using Asana for 10 plus years at this point. I used it at Facebook. It's a product that was born out of Facebook. That's sort of the origin story of Asana. Um, I used it at Facebook. I used it to plan my wedding. I used it to plan my renovation of our <laughs> apartment here. I used it at Tech in Asia. And then when I saw their opening office here, it was fate, I had to do it. So uh, it'll be two years at Asana in April, April 20th, I believe.
2: It nice. seems like it's a, it seems like it's a year of anniversaries. Well, congratulations. Thank on all you. Of them. Thank you, Ramka.
0: <laughs> Thank you. The journey here at Asana, Singapore has also has been equally interesting. When I joined the business, I think we were three or four people. We're now many more than that. We're not huge, but uh, 20 over people. Um, we look after the Southeast Asia region. Um, our headquarters for the region are in Sydney and look after our channel business across Asia, Pacific, and Japan. And I also look after our overall business here in Southeast Asia.
2: Amazing. Well, yeah. before we we dive into it, there is a question that I'm very curious uh, about. Sure. So I really have asked it. So uh, at HubSpot, we are using Asana quite a lot. I would like to learn from you how often and how much are you using Asana for your work?
0: The, I guess the best anecdote that I can give is that I have... I don't know if this is technically true. There might be a few situations where this is not true, but Mm -hmm. I cannot think of a single email that I've ever received internally at Asana. Mm -hmm. And that I think for anyone who's been kind of in the workplace for a while, is kind of mind blowing when you think about it. We do literally, now I email with clients, I've emailed with you all, you know, I use email, not an email Luddite, but internally at Asana, nothing happens on email.
2: Interesting. It's that's like It sounds right. like 22nd century. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I think yes. it's very important for us
1: who represent various companies and the products we sell, mm-hmm. for us to use them first ourselves and be the tool ambassador, right? Where's the fun if you don't drink your own champagne, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, exactly. that's true.
0: I mean, yeah, we right. talk to our partners about this a lot too. Um, mm-hmm. This is We don't require that our partners use Asana, but it's certainly an indication that we're going to have a successful partnership together if it's something they're adopting themselves.
1: That's a good segue to the main topic uh, for Mm. today's discussion, Andrew. Before we get into the nitty gritty of uh, building a channel partner program in companies of this region, let's take a step back to understand when should a company look to build a channel partner program, number one. And given that this is not a small investment, this really is, a strategic and a serious and a sometimes complex uh decision and an mm. execution plan when mm. does it make sense to incorporate this motion into a GTM and as per you like your thoughts on how well can a company leverage its channel partners when they set up their businesses
0: yeah it's it's a good question and it's one that i get a lot and there's there's a couple of milestones that I think are important to look at on when it might start making sense to think about a channel program. And this mm-hmm. could vary by your product or your your go-to-market motions. I'm sure there's some variance out there. But the two major things that I look for are some predictability and repeatability in your sales playbook. If you're struggling with product market fit on one end of the spectrum, or maybe you figured that out, but you're struggling with onboarding salespeople, figuring out how to reliably onboard salespeople, you're probably not ready for it a channel program because you need to be able to easily communicate your sales process and all of the challenges that come along with that to a, a channel partner and their salespeople with the understanding that they don't work for you full time you're not paying their salary so you have to make it as easy as possible and we and we can and should talk a lot about enablement and what that looks like but that's one milestone is like you really have to have your sales process your icps your go-to-market fit, all of those things need to be pretty nailed down before you start involving third parties and expecting them to execute on those playbooks. The other piece that I think is an important um, metric or milestone or, or, or sort of goalpost is to make sure that you have something to feed your partners. And what I mean, I mean business and leads. Um, I think there's a common misconception among sales leaders that maybe haven't done a lot of work with partners, or they've done work with very mature partners. Like maybe they come from an ecosystem like Microsoft that's very partner-driven, but very, very mature. And they just expect that when you start working with partners, they're gonna send leads to you. They're gonna bring you customers. And when you're getting started, or you're a smaller SaaS vendor like we are in relative terms, um, that's just not the reality. That's not how it starts. So you need to have a marketing engine that's either driving product-led growth that partners can tap into or mm-hmm. marketing-led growth that so you can feed those partners so that you can develop with them over time. And of course, the end goal is that they are bringing incremental business to you eventually um, or or in parts, but you have to start somewhere.
1: And I think me and Romka tend to agree with both those points. And one of the things that I have personally seen while building these channel systems in India for many product companies is the ability of the company to believe that you can reach the time better with extended arms and legs. So you need to recreate partners who are very much in sync with your culture, your value system. They pitch the way you pitch. They communicate the value of the product the way you do. So it's very important to have them literally resemble a micro mini version of yourself if Mm. that's the right word to use. But I think it's very important to understand alone you can't conquer the Total addressable market or the serviceable market that you have, but with extended friends and well wishers in your channel ecosystem, you give your business a best shot at it.
0: Yeah, I think that's true, Eddie. And I, I think um, there's there's different flavors to this too. You can have you know what what I call channel programs are typically resellers or solutions providers, value added resellers that this is their entire business, but maybe you are in a business where your channel program or your partnerships program is something more like a, a referral model, um, or it could be built into a community program. And so there's a lot of different flavors of this in hmm. what channel, quote unquote, actually is, isn't, isn't hmm. very well defined. Um, and that's okay. And it can also change and evolve over time.
1: Just a last point on that. Uh, how yeah. do you encourage sales leaders or people who do not have that experience to get believing into this system and to believe in distribution system and believe in partner-led growth. Mm-hmm. How how do you get these leaders who are not experienced to adopt this in their uh, own G
0: teams? That's a good question. Golden question. I, I don't think there's any silver bullets. I think that I would give the advice that there's a couple things you can do. One is you can ground in some practicality. So for what, what I mean by that is you can say to your leadership team and you can demonstrate to your to your go to market leaders that there's an opportunity in a particular market. Like maybe you're seeing strong traction in your product led growth motions in a country like Korea just as a random example. Now you have to make a decision. Do you want to let that continue naturally and sort of organically through your product? Do you want to invest in opening an office there and hiring people or do you want to go through the partnerships route? And I think you can practically make that decision based on the resources available to you at the time for whatever the opportunity is. So that's a that's a good way to show an executive, like, here's a path, it's an option, here's the investment that it would take. Um, and that often can be more attractive than the alternative, which is to do nothing. So that's one kind of like practical thing that I think channel leaders can do to help convince their sales leadership. Once you're a little bit further along there's often issues will come up with things like channel conflict, maybe a partner misrepresents you, or maybe they're, you feel like they might be selling against you, or maybe they're naturally competing with your own product-led growth motions. I think these are all things that you have to figure out along the way. But one thing that I often do is just look at the data on uh, retention and growth of accounts that are touched by partners versus very similar accounts in a similar market of similar size and you look at them over time and you measure what's the impact that these partners are having, not just in the revenue that they're booking, but in their ability to operate more efficiently and more effectively than your current channels, whatever those are.
2: That's very interesting. Everything you just spoke about actually made me think, uh, made me come back to that one point that you made earlier about types of partnerships or rather types of uh, partnering companies. Could you deep dive into it a little bit more? Because I guess as well, the nature of a company will also call for different types of organizations to partner with.
0: From one side, you have what I would call referral or affiliate partners, these are uh, partners often run as a community that are just sending business your way. Maybe it's um, maybe you have a product that is embedded into agencies and they have clients that they want to refer to you, but they don't really want, they're not in the business of selling software. So they send those leads over to you. Um, then you have like the next step, the next evolution of that is actual resellers. These are companies that they effectively do the same thing. They are finding business, closing that business, but then passing the relationship back to you. They are fairly transactional. Then you have on the other end of the spectrum, systems integrators. These could be like really big companies that have multi-million dollar projects. And you may be a very small or very big piece of those projects, but their job is to go in as consultants and help really big multinational organizations change the way that they do business. And somewhere in the middle, is where I think our sweet spot is and where we focus most of our attention in the region is with value-added resellers. So they do what resellers do. They close business. They can facilitate a transaction locally in local currency, but they retain the client relationship. They continue with the next step, which is onboarding. Maybe they'll add on services. Maybe they'll do some integrations or they'll do some... Uh, some training that they're able to monetize with those clients. Maybe they bundle other products together, like HubSpot or Google or other uh, technology products, Zoom, whatever it is, along with Asana. And they service that customer. They're responsible for the long-term retention and growth and renewal of those customers. And that's a really important partner type to us because especially in APAC, we're not in a lot of these markets. We don't have people on the ground and we need partners that not only facilitate the transaction, but also own the long-term relationship and the success of that, of the launch of the product of Asana within those organizations. But yeah, it really can run the gamut from being very transactional and or Mm -hmm. very community driven to Mm -hmm. very complex, you know, big systems integrator, long-term contracts to some kind of sweet spot in the middle, which is where I like to play.
2: Great. Can we deep dive into it a little bit more? Can you tell us how is Asana using partners to grow revenue, especially in Asia?
0: Yeah, so in Asia, we have sales teams that are sitting in Japan, Australia, in Sydney, and here in Singapore. And those sales teams service those those markets. So we have mm-hmm. direct sales teams that are servicing Japanese customers in Japan. Uh, in Sydney, they service the Australia and New Zealand markets. And then here in Singapore, we cover the major markets of Southeast Asia in a direct sales motion. Everywhere else in APAC, which includes China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, South Korea, and South Asia, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, the Maldives. I don't get to travel there a lot for business, but maybe one day. Um, These are all partner-led markets for us. So we don't have people on the ground. We don't have people actively selling directly into those markets. So we rely primarily on either self-service product-led growth or our sales assist motion is through partners. And then in those other markets where we have salespeople, it's um, a mix of motions. So we have product-led growth, obviously, we have direct sales, and then we do have channel partnerships that can co-sell with our salespeople.
2: Amazing. So it looks like you are really leveraging partners uh, depending on what is your sales motion uh, in a in a given country it's and it's integral part of your of your go to market is this the kind of advice you would give to to leaders depending on what is the motion sales motion that they want to execute on in different locations of their business to use partners one way or another i
0: think particularly in asia we know uh, being operators here, how business gets done and and how varied it is even within Asia is obviously incredibly diverse. Uh, it's a it's a really large region, but it tends to be pretty relationship driven. It tends mm-hmm. to be driven not everywhere and all the time in every segment, but largely face to face. It's largely trust driven as opposed to transactional. You can either invest a ton of money in opening offices and creating like entities in all these places and then hiring people. And eventually, you know, maybe we all get there. But in the meantime, there's an in between, which is to work with partners who are already established in these markets where you can come into their business as a value add to their clients. And you can also feed business to them and feed leads to them so that they can execute for you in the field.
2: Exactly. To get started in these markets but and you know, feel free to correct me or or disagree with me as well. What I'm observing as well is that especially when companies just have no no money to invest in localizations or simply it's not part of their strategy, they are able then to lean in onto partners much more to be able to reach that audience in those countries that require localization.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. But I would say you mm-hmm. can't do it with no mm-hmm. money. And and the reason sure. why is because what like I said before, you you have to start by feeding them. And so you have mm. to be generating mm. leads in those markets. You you I think it'd be pretty unless you're a super hot product mm. that people mm. really really want to get their hands on. It's very exclusive. There are many, many more SaaS vendors than there are good partners. So you need to go in with a strong value proposition. Um, about how you're going to help them grow their business. And the end result is they're going to do the same for you. They're going to help you grow your business, but it requires some investment in feeding them. And then also the enablement part, like Asana is not a particularly easy product to sell. It's not immediately intuitive to buyers all of the time. So we need partners to understand like how to explain the value proposition, how to explain the ROI that we might deliver to a business. And we can't just assume that any partner we bring on is automatically going to understand that or know how to do that. Right.
1: And I'm listening to some keywords when you both are speaking. I'm listening to trust, I'm listening to relationship, I'm listening to enablement. So how much key is setting up appropriate goals and KPIs into this relationship and into this program? Because I think eventually for a sustainable relationship and a continued growth and to have a profitable partner ecosystem, this becomes pretty crucial, isn't it? What do you
0: think about it? It is crucial and it's um, a bit of a balancing act. And I think it, what I love about partnerships is that it just requires a, it's very dynamic. It changes every day, the, the challenges that we face and the opportunities that we have are very, very different in every market that we operate in and even within particular markets. I mean, some of these markets are huge, like India is a good example. It's a massive market and we have partners that are in that market that we've been working with for several years, that we have deep, established, trusted relationships. They have teams that are dedicated to Asana and we're at a point in our relationship where, like you said, we set quarterly KPIs. There are revenue goals. There are Uh, marketing and um, growth investments that we are making in their business so that they can build a team that's focused on Asana. There are other partners in the market that we've just started working with in the last couple of weeks or months. And we're at a very different stage in developing that trust. And I wouldn't start with here are the KPIs yeah. for this quarter yeah. and I expect you to do X, Y, Z. It's more like, hey, let's get to know each nice. other. Like, who are your clients? Here's who we're, where we think you can help and where we can add value.
1: How's the journey been, at least with the tenure partners that you have in these large markets? How's the journey evolved, the relationship evolved over time? What are your
0: highlights? One of the things that I've been really proud of in my career, not just at Asana, but in in previous roles as well, is being able to sit back at the end of the day and look at a partner organization and know that what you've built together with them has enabled them to grow their business. They've, they're making money, they're hiring people. The people that they're hiring, are, you can see they're growing in their career. So I think of them almost like they're employees on my team. Like I have my team here that I, you know we do our one-on-ones and we do our our annual growth and impact cycle, as we call it GNI here at Asana. And we talk about you know different levels and competencies and promotions. But I think what surprises a lot of people is we do something similar, it's not as formal, but we do something similar with our partners and their salespeople. And we give feedback and we share like, hey, here's what I think you can work on. And, and you see it actually happening and working. And that's, to me, really rewarding. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say like I view many of my partners and I hope they all get to this point at some yeah. some stage, but I view many of them as part of our team. And they're just an extension of Asana. Isn't
1: this we all try to do? Um, create memories when we are really 60 plus and on our wheelchair looking back at our journey. These are the things that we remember, isn't it? We never remember. That's right, Addy. You don't,
0: I mean, maybe you remember your biggest, biggest deals because those, <laughs> th- those are pretty good too. Yeah. But you don't remember like yeah. last week's forecast call with the GM yeah. and how that went. You remember the <laughs> impact you made on people's lives. Totally agree.
1: Yeah. I'm probably uh, digging a little bit deeper into the rats whole here, but I wanted to, first of all, acknowledge um, for such a well-thought-out channel partner program fundamentals that you gave us. Uh, I'm very keen to listen from you and your thoughts if, for example, let's say a sales leader who is listening to this uh, podcast is now looking to build and launch a channel partner program, where do they start? Can you help us break it down into like, let's say, a step-by-step approach for us and tell us the framework that goes into building such a program?
0: I think um, I would caveat it with, I don't think there's necessarily a prescriptive way to do this. So I think there's a lot of paths that you can take. And I've seen a lot of partner programs that develop Including at Asana, more naturally, like they just sort of happen. So, and I think that's fine. But I think if you are wanting to be intentional about it, you see an opportunity, maybe you're seeing some traction in a particular market where you're not, you know, you're not going to be able to invest directly. What I would do is first look at who are your peers and friends. HubSpot's a good example for us. Like we have a lot of mutual customers, we have an integration between our products. So if I was looking to go into a new market, I might look, you you have a more established and mature uh, sales and partner ecosystem than we do. I might look like who are the best HubSpot partners in Thailand or Vietnam or Korea or whatever market I'm looking at. And I would go talk to them and talk about that story like, hey, I know you're working with HubSpot and you're successful with them. We also work with HubSpot and our products integrate. Why don't you sell us on it to those same customers? And it's that better together kind of story. So that that's that would be the first place I start because I think there's a lot of natural fit there, and that works well for these resellers and these value-added resellers because their business is built on this uh, bringing in new products that are complementary to increase the margins that they're capturing on their existing client base is very attractive to them. The next step of that does require, and I've touched on this a few times, but it does require committing to some investment with these partners. That could mean a lot of different things depending on your business and your product. But I think fundamentally, the most important one is around enablement. How do you, like, I guess, take a step back. My North Star or Southern Cross, if I'm talking to my friends in Australia, is to be able to look my partners in the eye at the end of a quarter and say, I enabled you exactly the same way that I enable my own sales team. I gave you the same quality of leads. I gave you the same product training. I gave you the same level of support from our solutions engineering team, from anyone else in our business, from our marketing team, give them some ramp time. It's probably a bit longer than the people you are paying to work full-time sitting in your office and in your business. So you need to build in a little bit of ramp. You need to build that time to build relationships. Those are those are sort of like the high level steps. Look for complementary products where you can value add, get ready to make something of an investment, whether that's enablement or marketing, and then give it a little bit of time to mature and and become something.
2: Great. That sounds great. It's a bit of a recipe on how to start a, a channel program. Do you have any principles that you are following as well in your work with partners that you just use perhaps every day to make the channel program as effective as possible for Asana?
0: Yes, I do. Not always like the best thing for the business or bottom line, but my principle and i think i think it does pay off in the long term is i would never ask my partner for something that i wouldn't ask my own people for i don't ask them for like unreasonable pieces of business or i don't ask them to perform more efficiently than i know my own business can perform i don't ask them to do things that um that go above and beyond what is reasonable to ask of them.
2: It's very much in line to what you what you mentioned earlier around partners being extension to your own team. And I think indeed, you know, if we are treating partners exactly that way, at the end of the day, it is partnership, right? It's a two way street. We need to make sure that we look after each other and really it should be a win-win relationship where, where we help our own organizations mutually to to benefit from from that relationship. And that's exactly kind of the mantra as well that we are using here at HubSpot. Hmm. Flipping it a little bit to the other side, what do you think are the the key challenges that organizations face when they build uh, an effective partnership program?
0: There are a lot of challenges. (laughs) I I like using like analogies, but so I'll I'll try to think of like a, it's sort of like trying to swim when your goggles are fogged up. Like the biggest challenge is that you are an arm's length from everything that's happening. These people don't work for you. Their clients are not your clients. They may be working deals that you don't have the latest information on, or maybe you're always sort of have a, a, a hazy view of what's happening in channel. And so you have to find a way to build enough of a trusted relationship that you can work through that haze, that you can make it work despite that. And it's never gonna be perfect, but I think that that's that's the benefit of, in my mind, of being a principled sort of operator and treating them as true partners versus churning and burning through a partner ecosystem just to generate short-term wins, is that in the long run, you will create a path to some additional clarity. I think that captures sort of in a nutshell some of the bigger challenges that exist within a partner ecosystem is that, you can't tell these people what to do.
2: Speaking of which, how about the commission structure? The big elephant mm. in the room, and I'm sure mm. that a lot of our listeners are going to have a lot of questions about that as well. What is your take on building an effective commission structure for partners?
0: There's two common models. Those are you either pay the partner some kind of fee after the fact. So you're paying them some kind of referral fee or a services fee once a piece of business is closed. The other model is that you provide the partner with some kind of discount or margin and give them a license to resell your product at list price. And then they keep what's in list price or some other price. And um, they keep what's in between as their piece. I actually don't have a strong point of view on which is better. They have different contractual requirements. There are uh, I'm not an expert on this, but there are requirements that U.S. listed companies need to follow that are different from companies that may be listed in outside of the U.S. or not listed at all. So there's there's a lot of like legal complexity around those things. But I'm of the belief that, one, I don't see partner margin as a discount. I see it mm-hmm. as payment for services rendered. Mm. I think that's a really important thing to understand. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I also am very keen to help my partners find a path to making as much money as possible, that is within reason, obviously. But if they are able to find a way to bundle products that are complementary, like I talked about before, or they're able to add on other services that maybe we are unwilling or unable to provide ourselves, like on-site deployments of training resources or custom integrations with APIs, like if they can build a business on top of that, on the on the post sale side i'm all for that and i don't even want a piece of it i just want them to be able to grow their business through that
2: again kind of nicely coming back to to that statement around partners uh, being extensions of our teams and delivering a great value to to customers because at the end of the day as we know great customer experience equals customers becoming advocates as well and there is no better advertising than great, you know, happy customer who will who will invite other customers, potential customers into into a relationship.
1: Before we move on to the next segment, here is a quick word from HubSpot. Is your software bill out of control? You're not the only one considering a breakup with your tech stack right now. Let me introduce you to HubSpot CRM. It's the best platform to speed up your sales and scale your business without blowing your budget. HubSpot's powerful CRM helps you to automate tedious tasks. Keep track of all your deals in one place and make sure your whole team has access to the same data. Best of all, you can try before you buy. No commitment, no hidden fees, not even a credit card is needed to sign up. Learn more at HubSpot.com.
2: Let's take a quick look at the future, shall we? In sales, we know that forecasting is the bone of our existence, isn't it? And we can't live without it. So here's the question for you, Andrew. What is your forecast for how sales in Asia will evolve over the next five, 10 years? And what do you think is going to be the number one thing that is going to change, especially when it comes to working with partners?
0: Well, that's a great question, Ramka. And yeah, I love forecasts. Um, maybe not really. <laughs> but uh, no, I've been thinking a lot about this because we are, we are looking to the future. And I'm thinking about our three to five year plan for what's to come in our partner program. And... There are definitely like some big macro trends that I'm thinking about. Obviously, uh, companies like Asana that aren't originally from this part of the world have been able to benefit from things like globalization that have allowed us to operate here and to grow our business here. and. Um, you know I know it's the same for HubSpot and and we're all very grateful for that that has also introduced um, a lot of challenges in our operating models and how we meet the needs of these markets and on the customer side it has given customers an abundance of choice in not only the software that they choose to buy but also how they get things done in their business and I think there's a good balance that comes from those mix uh, from that mix. And I think partners have a really key role to play in that. So we all talk about partnerships playing a role in localization. I think typically we think of localization primarily as language, but it can mean a lot more than that. It can mean mm. uh, being there for your customers when they need that extra that extra touch or that in-person you know face-to-face conversation. or it means being there when the difference is between uh, some faceless software product and true customer service. And I think partners play a key fundamental role in that. They not only have those relationships in place, but they have the ability to build them locally and hopefully choose to work with companies like ours to, to come along in that journey. So that that's uh, I'm thinking a lot about that. And I think about the the flip side of that as well is what we can learn from our partners. And mm-hmm. um, I, I tell our our sales team when they're selling with partners and co-selling all the time to keep their eyes and ears open for those learning opportunities, for finding when something might resonate with a client that's a bit unexpected or that's not part of our playbook. I think there's a lot of opportunities for us to learn from that. So as we think about our longer term plans and what the future looks like with our partnerships business, we're trying to build those learning models into that future.
1: Thank you for that. And I think that's a very solid forecast. Your boss should be happy the way you forecast (laughs) Andrew. I hope so. It all comes out of accuracy. (laughs) <laughs> i think you're right it's there is a flip side to everything just my takeaways from this conversation obviously is for expansion into new markets channels and alliances is a really really key step towards that i think it's important you time it well you structure it well you build a framework that you helped us today and sales leadership also i think has a lot of role to play most of the listeners today here are our sales leaders and i think they have to work closely and it should be a sink and they should find synergy in driving both direct and indirect revenue to their companies. And I think it comes down to even the commission structures, the workflow managements, the, the framework around joint sales, source revenues, all that will be key. But it, ultimately, you should have a business plan because end of the day, like Romka said, and you said, they are our extended arms and legs in the market. And so we should have The entire chain as strong as the vision that you have as a company and the value you sell. The business plans, the quarterly reviews, the timely checks, the alterations to that and learning from the market, learning from the partners on what's happening in the field. That'd be uh, pretty much that you need to commit as a company. So amazing knowledge sharing today. Uh, Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you, Romka. Uh, It's been a nice conversation and enjoyed. I hope the viewers also enjoyed it.
0: We'll see you soon again in the next episode. Thank Thank you you so
2: much. It was a pleasure to have you, Andrew.
0: Thank you, Ramkhan. thank you, Adi. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for tuning into
1: UpSpot's Asia Growth Forecast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever you are listening to this show. Ah, one more thing. If you found the discussion valuable, share it with at least one more person who you think would enjoy listening to it. That's it for this episode and we will see you real soon.